Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm Joe Bazzello. And we're excited to be here. I had to use my last name. Why? Just in case someone, you know, wants to look me up on, like, LinkedIn. and. What is your actual (laughs) given name? (laughs) Joseph Anthony Michael Bazzello, because I was... I just assumed by now you run a different identity. No, no, that's the identity I go by on MySpace. Okay. (laughs) I'm big on MySpace. Eric and Ryan (laughs) Cruz of Moves. Moves. There's a Z Z on the Z. These are slipper (laughs) shoes. Yeah, they're they're shoes that you put on to walk in your house so you don't muck up your rug or floor. Who has rugs anymore? Everyone has hard floors now. (laughs) All right, so Mm $200,000 for 15%. Correct. Indoor and outdoor shoes, clip on the bottom, go outdoors, come indoors, in and out. Right. Okay. Great product. Uh, Now, at the time of airing, $26 $26 to make them, retailing for 110 They had done $73,000 of sales all online and had less than a 2% return rate. So people yeah. like these. People like the product. They kept the product. So they're, they got a lot of momentum as they enter the tank. We're on season 11, episode 18. So the air date was April 3rd of 2020. Interesting time. So a lot of people <laughs> sitting at home bored and buying stuff uh, <laughs> off Shark Tank. <laughs> they got a lot of action, a lot of activity out of this airing. Uh, it was interesting. The uh, The space was viewed as a very hard space, a difficult space by most of the, the sharks, but there are a couple of sharks that had some interest. So uh, Mr. Wonderful Cuban and Robert went out, tough space, hard space. Don't not really dis- their thing. Not their thing. Don't want to discourage you, but uh, Lori and Damon had some interest, wound up making some offers, and it was Damon who kind of pushed Lori out of the way and, and stole the deal. So there you go. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk to these guys. Interesting guys, great guys, and uh, it's going to be fun. How do you think we sound today? Uh, pretty good. I, you know, we have a really, really expensive microphone. We really amped up. You know, our friend Alex told us our audio sucked. So we bought this, we bought a microphone, then we bought an even bigger microphone. I mean, it's huge. And we're in a studio. Yeah, we're in a studio. He's got to be happy. Alex has, has to be Well, what ready. Alex said, he goes, <laughs> no matter what, you guys are never going to look good, but you could at least sound half decent. That's what he said. He said, yes. work on the sound, you know, outside of plastic surgery, you guys are screwed. All right, so <laughs> let's get to the interview. All right, we're here with Eric Cruz and Ryan Cruz. I bet they're related. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Hey guys, how you doing? We're, right. we're great. We're uh, so pumped to have you here. What a awesome business! The slipper shoe combination. Uh, you guys went on Shark Tank. Had never seen anything like it. I'm guessing nothing exists. I've never seen like anything it. like it. It's like yeah. wow. So <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Where did the idea for this business come from? I guess you could take that. Yeah. So. Um, I was, at, I, I was studying industrial design at NJIT and uh, they had tasked us with to 
re- reinvent or invent a new consumer product. Um, so, you know, I went and brainstormed and I talked to Eric about the project and, um, you know, we both decided that slippers were a good avenue to go down because it was fairly untapped. A lot of attention really wasn't being paid to the slipper market. So I was like, how can we make the world's best slipper? And, um, you know, we decided to put some sneaker concepts on it, the highest material quality. And then we we're like, you know, what if these sneakers could actually go outside and for quick trips and come back in? How, what would that look like? How would that you know, work? And that's when we developed the detachable sole uh, concept. And then just making that work was kind of tough, but we eventually got it. Uh, I presented it to the to my teachers and the, the whole studio that at that time, Eric actually joined us at the presentation. And, you know, we expected a resound, you know, a glowing review. We were very excited, but the teacher was like, oh man, there's not too much of a market for this type of product. This was years ago, or a very long time ago. And, um, you know, we, we took it, you know, with a grain of salt and we didn't really let it discourage us too much. Um, and then as we, we moved on and, um, you know, started working corporate America and doing that, didn't really fulfill, feel fulfilled. We'd, uh, we thought back to that project and we're like, you know what, man, let's make a real run at that, that idea because I think it could work. And uh, once we did that, it was just off to the races. So that is, that is kind of cool. You got out there in the world, in the real world, in the corporate world and said, huh, maybe taking a risk as an entrepreneur wouldn't be that bad a deal. <laughs> exactly. Yep, that's exactly how it went. Now, had you guys, when you got the uh, unfavorable feedback from the professor, had you guys ever heard the uh, FedEx story? No. no. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the idea for FedEx was uh, written as a business project. Hey, what if you could, you know, ship stuff, you know, a private company would, you know, be able to ship stuff around the country. And I believe he got a C minus. Yeah, it was, it was not a good, you know, it's, well, hold it. We have a U.S. bail. What do we need that for? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it probably been helpful if you, if you knew that. But, you know, I, I hopefully you took the feedback with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, look, it's, it's sometimes these professors think they know more than they do. But also, I'll say your professor was no different than Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful went out because he said, hey, this is a tough business. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't know if there's much of a market for it. So... Uh, you can't fault your professor that much. Yeah, I don't. I don't. We just, you know, we were, uh, we were, ahead, we were ahead of our time, really. Yeah. So now, is there anything that you have a patent on, or has that technology been around previous to you using it? No, well, there, there are some patents that are in existence uh, who share sim- similar u- utility benefits, um, but we filed our own um, utility patent back in November of 2018 originally. Um, the actual locking technology in the heel. Yeah. And we filed revisions thereafter. We're still in pending status, uh, but we're hoping for a decision to be rendered within the next six to eight months. It's, it's a long drawn out process. Do you guys want us to show the product? Yeah, it'd be great. Please. So this is the product right here. This is the, the moves through AMs. They, uh, it looks like a sneaker, but it, they actually uh, come apart so that this inside part is a slipper. The outside part is what you wear when you go out for quick trips. And when you have to, uh, you know, just slide in, pop down, and then you're out. And um, it's just designed to be real easy to use um, with sneaker materials and super lightweight. Yeah. The, the neoprene heel allows for easy entry and exit. So you can, you know, use this much like you would a slide or a sandal. Um, and we're seeing a lot of benefits that the customers are seeing just because of the lightweight and the utility behind it. Especially now, like during this current environment where people are very uh, concerned about tracking dirt and bacteria back into the home. Um, people that are like health conscious and even even cultural uh, appropriations when you know they prefer people remove their shoes 
um, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot of interest both culturally and just because of the current conditions. Walk us through the timeline because you weren't around very long prior to getting on Shark Tank. So when did you create the business? And just tell us a little bit about that process. Did you borrow sure. the money? Was it bootstrapped? Where did the, this yeah. actually become a, a, a product? So we had, we had registered in the, the LLC um, in New Jersey on March 18th of 2018. Um, at that point, we were still very much in research and development. We had identified the, our manufacturing partners overseas. I believe at that point, we had already taken our first trip to China that was self-financed. Um, you know, we've spoken to a couple of different factory owners, uh, research development um, in terms of utility, and then we experimented with different textiles to figure out what kind of which fabric you know we're going to lean most as close towards. Um, and that's like a tricky conversation to have in its entirety, just because if you have too much stretch, then you see like the shape of the foot when it's in the sneaker, and that's really not ideal. It doesn't have enough stretch, and it's not breathable. It's not really breathable. Uh, so you have to work. You have to find the knit that's, I guess, perfect for your fit. Um, so March, 2018, you know, we registered, um, we were probably, we took that year to kind of experiment. Uh, we haven't, we didn't really have any product stateside until January of 2019. So we took that rest of the year to figure things out. And then we launched, uh, in 2019 of January, we had a, a launch in Jersey city. We're currently, we're, we're offices now. We both live. Uh, so it's really come full circle. We're actually born here, so it's, it's good to be back home in a lot of ways. Um, we had a launch party. We did really well. We, we noticed that there was certainly an interest, um, express interest that, for this product. So we were really excited about it. By like April, May, um, we were contacted by a casting director over at Shark Tank. And we thought like originally it was like a joke. You know, someone was Yeah, it's, it's one of your buddies. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I remember looking at the email, like, there's no way this is real. Like, this only, we're only five months in business. There's no way, like, we've gotten their interest this quick. But um, someone went through but, the ruse of getting a Shark Tank email extension. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Like, I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. Uh, it's just, like, one of those moments you don't forget, like, your surroundings, you know, because everything, like, comes to a stop. Yeah, that's true. So, read, read the signature. I was like, oh, wait, this could be, like, this could be real. So, you know, I called Ryan. I was like, hey, would you believe me if I told you like Shark Tank like is in interested in us? And then we were both like just in disbelief, really. Um, so that process was was very long and extensive too. They, where, they do, where do you know where they found you? Social media, from our understanding. Yeah. We had yeah. just we had just began to start like uh, testing ads and, and trying our best to run our own ads and all that. And they said that they saw one of our ads pop up on their feed. They liked the product, reached out. So we're like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah. And that's, that point, that's, that's the strategy. Just uh, target anyone that works at ABC and Shark Tank with Facebook. Right? worth ads to get on Shark Tank. Hey, yeah. I got to ask you guys a question. Because every time, you know, one of the entrepreneurs we talk to says, oh, you know, we went to China, we found the factory. I just nod my head like I have any idea what the hell they're talking about. So yeah. you got to tell me about that process because I don't think either of you, you know, grew up there or know much about China. So <laughs> how did you, what do you do? Do you Google factories and go, we're going to go find these five and just fly over there? What's the process of finding factories and going in? And did you have a translator? I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this and I've never yeah. asked the question. Yeah, it was a long journey. As Eric stated, we, you know, we filed in 2018, but this business and the idea came long before and we were just trying to do it really on our own. So at first it was, okay, Ryan, um, 
we have the idea, we have the concept, let's try to get it made. I, I knew a little bit about like uh, making molds and, and doing it that way. So we went to a, 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 a hardware store to get some like silicone molds, uh, supplies and stuff, and we put it together. And what came out was pretty horrible, but um, it worked. It showed the functionality. I actually have it in front of me to show you guys. So this was the actual. Uh, oh God, <laughs> close your eyes. <laughs> and, and, you know, as you can see, it has like those little holes in the back and then this, this would slide down and, and uh, so for, for those listeners that are not watching this on, yeah. on YouTube, what was just shown to us looks like a couple of old, like uh, thrown away tires that have been cut with an exacto knife. That's right. Yeah. It was. Yeah. But, um, we wore this, we walked around in it and this stayed in. So we were like, you know what, this technology is going to work. <laughs> so we decided, okay, how are we really going to make it? You know, so we, we, we use drawings, we use 3d models. We started approaching investors with those ideas, but without an actual sales sample, an investor wouldn't really, um, you know, join the team and, and hop on board. So we were like, okay, well, we need to get a real sample made. So we started looking in state first, you know, so we started talking to people um, in New York city, people that had connections in China and we got burned a lot. Like people would tell us that they had these connections. They would, you know, we would give them all of our samples, our prototypes, they would send them to China. And then four months later, they say, guys, it's impossible. It's an impossible concept. So they're wasting our time, wasting our money. Cause it wasn't like they were doing this tough stuff for free. They were consultants, you know, cons uh, for them. And then we were like, you know, we have to keep this project close. So let's try it to find someone in the city that can actually make it. So we went to Brooklyn. We found someone to make a, a, a prototype for us. It was, it was good, but it wasn't, you know, where it needed to be. It was just kind of like, kind of like this, but a little bit elevated. It was just a bunch of sneakers cut up and put together. Um, so even that didn't work. At the time, we thought it was great, but again, it didn't work. Um, so then we're like, okay, guys, we have to really take it seriously, go all in. All of our time and money have to be spent to, to learning this industry and finding out how to get shoes really made because we had no previous experience in manufacturing or footwear or anything. So luckily, you know, we were, we were going to trade shows. We were going to meeting different people that said they could help us. And luckily, we, were, um, we found out that the first thing you need to do is make a technical drawing. You know, make a blueprint of your product before you can even do anything. You have to start with a blueprint. And we approached uh, some, we went on um, Upwork and we found someone to do our technical drawing for us. And after he finished, it was great. He said, hey guys, do you guys have a consultant that you can, you know, to really get this made? And we said, no, but he said, I have somebody that's you know, really well known in the industry and can help you guys. He gave us his contact. His name was Lou Correga. Lou Correga was the guy that, that saved this whole, this whole project. He, he came on board and, you know, he lived up in the Poconos, which is only a two hour drive from us. So. We went up there to meet him with our samples and stuff. And, and we knew he was the real deal because, you know, it only took two or three meetings until he actually had a prototype from China that was close to what we wanted. We were like, oh, my God, this is, this is our guy. And he was that guy. He took us under his wing. Like, um, we, ended, we ended up started calling him Uncle Lou because that's how close we got, just <laughs> all the conversations and all the, you know, the help that he was providing us. And, you know, he didn't really want, it, want anything from us. He wanted to help and he wanted to be a part of this. And, you know, um, it wasn't like a money thing. It was more of a, you know, he was just taking us under wing almost like nephews. So he was the guy that he even, um, when he was going to China, he said, you guys, I'm going to China this date. You guys should join me so we can go meet the manufacturers and all that. So me and Eric planned it up to, to go at the same time. And even though he said he was going for other guys, he was in our, all of the meetings with us. He was, you know, hand in hand with us on the whole project, talking to manufacturers. Luckily, uh, they, they, they spoke decent enough English where we can communicate pretty well. And we had left. China for the first time, we left with a sales sample that we could be proud of and that really worked and looked good. 
And because of that, we were able to land our first investment. Then we started pitching that to investors and showing them how that looked. It, it looked a little bit different, but very close to what we have now. And it was enough to, for an investor to say, okay, guys, I'll give you the money you need just for enough to get the first run made. So they had given us the $90,000 investment to get 3,000 pairs made. So then for the manufacturing run, we actually went out there again, met with the manufacturing partners, and we had to make sure everything was perfect until we hit the go-ahead button for them to go ahead and create 3,000. We didn't want you know, all these pairs made, and then there's little mistakes here and there. So we had to make sure it was perfect before... Um, they, they sent it all back. So we actually signed the, the design of the silhouette minutes before we left for the airport that same yeah. day. Yeah. We, yeah. As soon as we put that signature, that signature meant that's the goal. It's that's, final. That's final. And that's what we're going with. So we left it in their hands yeah, and the I'm next plane like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And when you're doing that, that volume, you, you know, you feel like something's going to mess up, but they're, they're so professional over there that they got us all our 3000 pairs in perfect condition. Everything was good. And, um, we were su- super happy and just couldn't thank Luke Craig enough for, for his integral part in the process. He was like yeah. a fairy godfather dropped into your lap. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. On our website, that's what we name our fairy godfather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then for entrepreneurs that are interested in manufacturing overseas in China, I think one thing to remember is English is really a language of business. So um, although you're traveling internationally, uh, for those manufacturers that want to do business with, you know, Americans and America, particularly the Northeast, uh, you know, you have to be able to speak the language. So it's not too much so, of a barrier. So now you're sitting on 3,000 pairs. I'm assuming a few different colors, few different sizes. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. what? Build a website, run Facebook ads, spread the word? Well, yeah. At the time, all we thought was we're going to get up those Shopify. Yeah, we thought we're going to get those, <laughs> those 3,000 pairs up, put a website up. Everyone's going to come see it. Everyone's going to love it. And, and it's, you know, we're going to you know, uh, sail off into the sunset. But it doesn't work like that yeah. in business. You have Hardly to really run ads towards your website. You have to get traffic to the website for people to actually see it and buy it. At the time, we, we had no idea. So the launch party was good because we did, you know, have a lot of people in one place um, that, that were able to see it, purchased. And it was a lot of friends and family. But then after that, it was just pretty much up to us to, to get that buzz created around a product and it, it was hard because you know even in that we didn't have any experience in, in ad marketing or advertising but you know we learned and that's when we started to dabble with the with the marketing ads and and that's when someone from shark tank came and found us but before that we were just like man is this thing going to really work because we have all these pairs of shoes sitting in a warehouse but it's not really selling as fast as we thought it would be it was very it was trickling in and uh, we knew we had to make a drastic change that's why we we're trying to learn about marketing and, and running these ads and stuff like that. And luckily not a lot of people saw the ad, but the right person saw that ads and that's mm-hmm. what, that's what counts. So what happens post shark tank, you go on, at least on TV, you, you Damon offers you a deal. What happens those first couple days afterwards? Is there anything you can disclose at this point about if the deal did or didn't go through? How is the business different for you now? Yeah. So shortly after the commitment on the show, taping was back in uh, 20, 20, uh, 2019. So there's, there's a few months that, you know, go by without really knowing if you're going to actually get aired eventually. You know, everyone's hoping and praying because, you, you know, you put in a lot of work, time, energy um, for this opportunity and you want, you want to show America, you know, your product but there are no guarantees throughout the process and they, they make that very apparent. So that's one thing I can appreciate throughout the process was, uh, you know, they were very forthcoming with how long and, and drawn out this process will be. And, you know, no matter what stage uh, you accomplish, nothing is guaranteed. Um, so we were really notified up until March of 2020 that we we're going to get aired. So almost pretty much to the, a year to the date 
you know, we were told that we were going to, we were going to be aired and we were really excited. Um, you know, I think this, this was three or four years, you know, of our life kind of dedicated to this one, one product. So, um, you know, we were excited, but we were nervous too, just because we were expecting this like huge wave of, of interest. I mean, you know, Shark Tank has, I believe eight to 10 million, um, viewers nightly. So, you know, you do the math, our website, you know, was not ready for that kind of demand and interest. So we had to revamp the homepage, make sure the shopping experience was um, pretty easy to navigate, make sure that everything was user-friendly, um, big fonts, just so that we wanted to expedite the customer purchase because we didn't want too many customers on the webpage at the same time or else, you know, we may be susceptible to crash thing. We, we didn't know, but we didn't want to take the risk either because this is a one-in-some-laptop opportunity. Um, so shortly after, shortly, I believe the day of Damon called, he called from a private number. So I, I didn't recognize the number. He left a voicemail, just wishing us good luck and, you know, be in touch. So that was great to hear. That was encouraging. And, um, you know, we aired, you know, I, I guess, uh, we were the first, I'm sure you remember the episode we were the first brand to appear. Uh, so we really weren't really to, able to enjoy the episode too much because as soon as our face popped up, we were like, holy crap, no, that's us. <laughs> so, you know, we treated it much like a day in the office. Everybody had a laptop or uh, an iPhone just being able to respond to DMs or customer inquiries and making sure the website was, was up and running still. Um, it was just like a tidal wave, you know, it was a tidal wave, it was a volcano, it was an earthquake. It was everything wrapped up into an hour, really, no, I'm mistaken, it, like five or six hours because we didn't really realize that we'd be re-airing in certain time zones. So Northeast, you know, Midwest, and then, and then West Coast that, you know, we, I don't think I slept till maybe three, four in the morning that day, just trying to, just trying to respond to as many customers as we could. We, we ended up moving uh a lot of shoes you know yeah. within that weekend like i said it was like trickling in at first when before all this it was like you know faucet trickling and then when star tank happened they just turned on both both yeah. faucets and let it all come down and it was it was an unbelievable like once in a lifetime experience for sure yeah and it was cool seeing the user traffic um you know during i guess the the points of climax and we're negotiating with damon we don't really know if we're gonna deal or not they cut to a tv break and you see it like kind of plateau and then it cuts back and then we end up getting a deal and there was a huge, huge spike. We were like, oh, this is, you know, this is more viewers we got, you know, we received in one day than a whole year in business. You know, so that really speaks to the volume, um, you know, that the Shark Tank effect has and, and how alive, you know, entrepreneurship is, especially during this time and age. You know, I, it was a live that, I think it's funny that in America, someone has their finger on the cart button waiting for the uh, commercial break to be over because if Damon doesn't give him a deal, I'm not buying these shoes. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if Damon, I mean, if Damon looks at it and says, yeah, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's, <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? And yeah, you know, one person's opinion. Um, and yeah. we've heard that from other people too, that did not get a deal and kind of got, you know, it, they did not get that, that big spike in sales. So what's the, What's the next 12 months look like for you guys? Where, how are you expanding the business? How are you growing? What are those growth plans for you? Yeah, so you, we learned a lot from the past year. One was uh, how expensive it is to fulfill um, or you know, working alongside a 3PL. Um, you know, we had a huge influx of, of customers at that time. So at that point, we really needed a third-party logistics operator to help relieve kind of the burden of processing all these orders. 
Um, but now as business has kind of plateaued and we uh, firmly understand customer engagement and how many orders to expect a day, expect a week, um, you know, we've since transitioned to our own warehouse where we treat as an office as well as we're currently stationed in. Um, so we can, we can have a very hands-on approach. I think it's intricate, um, you know, to partner with someone that you can trust within that time period, but then, you know, reevaluate the business operation, see where you can kind of cut costs. Um, so outside of, of eliminating overhead, um, you know, product development is, is currently in the works as we're working on a V2, which should be a mid top, hopefully release this summer. Um, and then, you know, expanding the market. So at that point, this time last year, we were exclusively men. We had all really had the funds to do was manufacture molds and a product run for men. But now we've since expanded the size range now offer smaller sizes, offering kids and women, which is a unique, you know, demographic in, in, in its own right with its own metrics, its own customer engagement flows. Um, so, you know, we didn't we always take an approach of, you know, we're going to walk before we run. So we really took the time to understand like, our customer base on the male side, dedicating a lot of time, energy and resources to understanding women behavior so that, you know, in a couple more months, we can market to the right, um, the right product, the right person so that, you know, we can ultimately increase, uh, you know, not just revenue, but really the community that we're Brand trying to awareness. build within. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all about, you know, growing this community, learning about them and seeing what their needs are so we can serve them even better. Going well, kinda, you, you obviously, you mentioned getting out of the 3PL and just handling it yourself. What, the, what does that kind of a partner do in terms of your margin? Is it per unit? Is it a percentage? How is that affecting things? Yeah, it's definitely on a per unit basis. Um, you know, depending on your partnership, they could charge you between two and three dollars per order serviced. Um, and then they may charge you return cost, uh, storage, obviously. Um, so it does become quite an expense. Um, and you know, in a way it becomes counterintuitive, you know, as you're growing the business, you're also increasing expenses. So, you know, you don't want those two to ever offset each other. You always want to be, you know, positive. Um, so Certainly, it served its purpose when we were growing in growth stage, just because we just didn't have the manpower to process and package, you know, thousands of orders, hundreds in a day. Um, so now that the business is taking a back seat and we're able to really evaluate day to day operation, uh, you know, we felt it was in our best interest and for the business best interest to internalize fulfillment. Um, and you know, we have, we're at a beautiful location here. Uh, we're you know, we're serving as both a warehouse storage space as well as an office. So it's. Uh, you know, we're really utilizing the most out of this space. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I would implore all entrepreneurs to just reevaluate expenses before, you know, you get too big and it just becomes, you know, a recurring expense. You may be able to kind of squeeze some, some dollars out of that. But I think I was going to say, you know, say two to three dollars, you know, at first you go, oh, that's not bad. But then you think about what one person could process in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it adds up. It just seems... Yeah in-house some storage and being able to handle it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think it's it a bit here if you're willing to jump in and learn it. Yeah. You know, we've never, we've never been hesitant to learn an industry or part of the business. Um, you know, whether it's production, manufacturing, logistics, customer service, you know, we, we have our hands in everything, email marketing. Um, I think, you know, we, we understand the business best and the needs best. Uh, so it's important for us to kind of imprint our DNA um, into whatever operation that, you know, we're currently overseeing just so that the tone is, it's, it's be expected and consistent, the narrative, and there's leadership, you know, throughout the process. So, um, 
yeah, this, this year was certainly a learning experience. Um, but, you know, I think we're better for it. And if it wasn't, you know, for Shark Tank and all the hard work that went into that, you know, Ryan had stayed up, I don't know how many hours creating the pitch, you know, just because there's certain voices, you want to make sure everyone has equal amount of time on the show. And then, you know, obviously like the major takeaway is trying to obviously know your numbers is, is critical, being realistic in the evaluation, but trying to like create a pitch that solicits sharp participation, you know, try and get them involved, either on the stage or, you know, they're eating or whatever product it is, make sure that it's engaging because, you know, it's important to the casting directors just as equal as it's important to the audience who's watching it. Yeah, it's one of the things people have shared with us. Don't forget, it's a television show. There needs to be some yeah. entertainment. <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I had to be a little more animated than normal, you know, so yeah. I try to, you know, show them how product worked, you know, hit the jump shot, you know. Just yeah, high five over the yeah, place. Yeah, and, high five. Just yeah. big, animated, you know, like... Uh, yeah, cheeky you know, and cheesy. Almost. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we, we're glad that the whole shoes bro didn't stick. Because <laughs> I was reluctant that. You know, people would see us or, you know, comment and choose, bro. And we're like, that's not really how we talk. But, you know, again, we're trying to make it yeah, cheesy for, for, for TV. So who, who are some people that have been influential in your lives in terms of shaping your work ethic and your entrepreneurial spirit? It's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think our parents are definitely one of our biggest inspirations because they were uh, first-generation Americans. They came here, they worked hard um, every day and to provide everything they could for us. Um, so they were definitely our first inspirations. And then, you know, just like just reading and learning from other people that have done it before has really helped out. You know, one of my one of our biggest heroes is like guys like Elon Musk, um, you know, watching what he's doing, innovate, how he innovates and fearlessly innovates no matter what, no matter how many times he fails, he, he keeps going. Um, and then just, you know, with the entrepreneurial side, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that we look up to. Um, I look up to a guy named Nipsey Hussle. He's a rapper entrepreneur, just paving the way for independent artists. Um, and Eric, do you have anybody? Yeah, I've, I've always been interested in Vibe Iger's ascension, you know, to Disney and, and what he's doing over there and how influential he is to the streaming space and that whole Disney Plus initiative he has. Um, as well as our board of advisors. I mean, it's limited, but, uh, you know, we have an excellent attorney there. We have our first investor, Pat. Um, we have our senior advisor, Lori, and someone working really close with lately, Bala. Um, you know, two individuals we met through the Clubhouse app, which, which is, um, you know, increasingly, you know, you're, you're seeing this become a tool and resource for entrepreneurs for them to tap into experiences and insights. So there's a ton of information um, and relationship building that we're doing on that app. I probably spend two to three hours, usually a day, kind of passively listening um, to several different chat rooms and then, you know, adding value when, when I can, you know, I've never really been too outspoken. So I certainly have to kind of step out of my comfort zone um, and kind of, you know, voice my opinion just so that people are aware of who I am and, and you never know who's in the room. Um, so, you know, utilizing these free F R E E free resources and tools is really almost like a make or break for a lot of entrepreneurs, like yeah. being able to utilize LinkedIn to its full potential, like sending DMS wherever you can, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn and connecting with someone you may not know, but if there's a mutual friendship, like leverage that in the know. Like how we found uh, our, our technical drawer on Upwork, which is a free platform. And he introduced us to Lou and that. And, you know, yeah, and it snowballs, yeah. you know, and then Lou introduces us to the manufacturers, manufacturers and the factories oh. just use the vendors. And then it's all of a sudden you have a product 
you know, you have to be willing to take steps and be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. That's what entrepreneurship is. And if that's not you, then I advise you to reconsider what you're doing just because this will take a lot, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of sacrifice, you know, to get here. We're fortunate enough. I believe the timeline is usually seven and a half years. You know, we're doing it in four, four and a half. So we're able to cut that in half, but because of the resources that are now available to us. Yeah. Well, and they're all, they're all there, but you know, you think of like LinkedIn and Clubhouse, the stuff's free and it's there, but you got to put in the time to build the relationships and you can't be a complete tool either. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. You also need to give back. You know, it's important to give yeah. back and, and uh, you guys obviously are doing that, but your message to uh, wannabe entrepreneurs who say, well, I don't have the knowledge or they wind their way through mm -hmm. it, uh, would, I, I assume your message would be, hey, bro, the no <laughs> not bro, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Shoes, bro. is out there. <laughs> and, and if you're a nice person and you just ask, there's a lot of people willing to help you. Definitely. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different ways to learn. If you don't know about something, just the internet teaches so much YouTube. You can learn so much from YouTube, reading books, audio books. You don't have to be actually reading. You can listen to your book as you, yeah. as you're driving or working on something else. Yeah. So. Instead of listening to Pandora, you know, listen to an audio book. That's like the, within the first year of kind of this entrepreneurial journey. I believe I may have listened to eight or nine books in the course of a year, just, you know, passing listening. But if something caught my attention, I'd rewind it and listen to it again or write it down so I wouldn't forget it. Um, and then, you know, to last point, you know, we're current, we're constantly looking for people to collaborate with. You know, we have a, a couple of meetings tomorrow with some videographers and graphic designers and photographers. And, you know, we always want to work with those that, you know, are eager and enthusiastic to learn about the business, to partner with, you know, a reputable brand to kind of learn and grow just because as we are, we're not experts in any individual area. But, you know, I think we're all, we would consider ourselves talented in a lot of different areas. But, you know, we're certainly not an expert in, in anything particular. So it's, it's important for us to continue learning, partnering with those that believe. And then, you know, if you're an entrepreneur looking for information or experience or insight, you know, just very, be very clear on your ask. You know, tell them who you are and let them know exactly what you need. I need 15 minutes to talk about content strategy. Yeah. And that person will have a greater chance of responding to you, you know, if it's very clear. You know, there, there are some great data points on LinkedIn and how many times you should follow up with someone, believe after four times, I think there's a 99.8% chance that someone's gonna respond to you. So your new MO should be no, no, nothing less than four reach outs. You know, uh, it's just okay. kind of using data and metrics to kind of but, better. But the key there is be extremely respectful of people's time. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. Don't go on a huge, you know, seven paragraph tangent upon why they, you know, should be listening. Just three, I think, I think the also another metric someone stated is like two or three sentences is all you need. You know, hi, my name is Eric. I work for Moose Footwear. I would love to talk to you about content strategy. Done. Yep. It's, it's well, what do you need? Well, when, you, when we turn on our LinkedIn inbox and we see those three, four, five paragraph messages, yeah. it's I'm like, not reading I'm, it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not reading it. That's it. It's done. You know, you've wasted an opportunity. Yep. Yep. A couple quick ones to you guys. I, I'm just curious, when you told your parents you were doing this, what did they tell you? <laughs> Oh man, um, you know, my mom's the ultimate optimist. She believed yeah. in us. Whatever you got, you know, you guys can do anything, you know. But my dad was kind of like, guys, hesitant. You got to make some money. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he saw, you know, they both were able to see it. Because at the time, we were both living at home because, you know, we didn't, we couldn't afford just to move out. We were putting everything we had into the business. So they saw us, and my dad would call it the graveyard shift because we'd be up late 
just working and, and brainstorming and just going after it. So as long as they were able to see the work, they saw that we would, you know, we, we were, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. And there, I think to their point, you know, they were both incredibly understanding about the process, how long this takes, being patient. Um, you know, they never pressured us and sat us down and had like an intervention with us, you know, by any stretch. Uh, you know, we were at a position where we had gotten the financing. I went to work back. Um, I went to back to work working part time. Uh, you know, I think that's a key takeaway just so that you could always have a continual stream of revenue coming in in the event that the business needs an infusion of capital, you have it, you know, you, and that was, there was a few times, you know, if, if, if one of us didn't step up to, to fund the business, I don't think we would be here. And I'd never want to leverage my parents' assets. That was not, you know, why, why we're doing this. If we can't do this on our own, then, you know, I'd rather not do it at all instead of compromising everything they work for. But, you know, our parents are great. Our girlfriends have been super understanding even to this day you know like i spent sometimes when clubhouse first came out and i was on it like girlfriend was complaining about it like how are you just listening to people talk for five hours like you don't understand i'm passively listening and i'm you know i'm interjecting when i can but i'm using this as a resource as it's free because it's not always going to be free they're just kind of rolling this out in beta just to test but believe people are going to be the the app will become aware that they can monetize it they can start charging to follow people charging to jump into rooms charging this is for free for now but who's to say in six months it's still going to be that way and it may just be saturated and the the good people may have moved on to another app so i always constantly leverage anything i can because that's what it is you know life is a compromise you know everything everything is negotiable your time your energy the people that you do business with Taking that approach, you know, I think helped me, you know, I guess provide some clarity. You know, when you shared that first prototype with your parents, your dad probably said to your mom, we're never getting rid of these. Yeah. I was just thinking, so Eric and Ryan emerge from the garage. Yeah. In yeah. This, they walk into the kitchen this is the and the holy grail, they hold up this really homely <laughs> prototype. And your mom probably says, oh, hon, that's beautiful. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think I took a picture with my mom. Like, mom, like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when you have a kid and he's not like the best looking kid, but you can't say he's ugly. <laughs> you gotta love oh, he's, it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So safe we, to say it's come a long way, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm telling you, those things are very, very cool looking. So uh, yeah. we've taken it up enough in your time and we so appreciate you guys are great. Uh, where can people find the product and then how can they follow you on social media? Yeah, you guys can find us at moves.co, M-U-V-E-Z.co or .com, whatever you feel more comfortable with. And uh, on Instagram and all of our social media handles are always moves, M-U-V-E-Z. Well, I'm not surprised yeah, that it wasn't taken. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had filed. Um, the dot com was being cyber squatted for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah, we just recently um, became ownership of that dot com. But we had filed three or four years ago. That's why we launched with dot co. And you know, yeah. we just, we're just keeping it consistent. No, yeah, now the branding, it's a part of the kind of the brand story. So it's been dot co. Um, but if there's anyone who's interested in contacting us directly, press at moves.co is, is the best way to. to to reach out to us, our customer care at Moves. Awesome. Well, you guys are great. Hold on, I got a question. No, yeah. take it off enough of their time. One last Please question. Okay. Okay. An important question. Okay, great. Oh. What happened, to Uncle Lou? Oh man, um, our Uncle Lou. Shortly before Shark Tank happened, um, he he suffered a massive heart attack and passed away. 
Ah. So it was, uh, it was really tough, you know, dealing with the whole Shark Tank thing, the excitement of it, losing him. And he was really a big inspiration for us. But, you know, we took that and used that as fuel to really get the job done. He wasn't a, uh, you know, feel sorry for me kind of guy. You know, he would have told us, you know, get out there, you know, get this thing done. Like, don't be crybabies. Let's go. Yeah. So and those weren't, those aren't the words he would yeah, use. He would use a little more <laughs> But um, he was, you know, he was our angel in there with us. And we felt like, you know, he was there, you know, at the end, well, once, once, you know, once it was all said and done, we knew he was there. Great, great people like you. You guys have, uh, I could, I could tell you have a great spirit, a big heart. You deserve an angel in your life. So you got one. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys having us today. We're back. Post game. Love post-game. the post game. All right. Post game is my jam. What'd you learn? A uh, couple of things, three things. First, I want to mention that everyone needs an Uncle Lou. They had an Uncle Lou. I had an Uncle Lou. And my Uncle Lou was actually named Uncle Lou. That was his name. Everyone needs an Uncle Lou. But my there... grandfather's <laughs> middle name was Lou, and some people called him that. So there you go. Lou's are great. My daughter has a dog named Louis. <laughs> Random fact. Okay, there's a couple things that I, I took away. They they learned how to be hands-on in their business in the areas that they needed to be hands-on on. That's a, a long way of saying there's certain... Well, usually you're so, you know, efficient with your words. Yeah, usually I'm so concise, right? I'm not, I'm not a verbose person. I am verbose. But they, they learned how to pay attention to the things that they need to be to be involved in. And that, that's tough for an entrepreneur. There's some things you could delegate and even abdicate. Not that we suggest that. But they learned areas of their business that they needed to understand and be all over and be hands-on on, if yep. that makes sense. So that's, that's number one. Um, number two, both of them were willing to become uncomfortable. Entrepreneurs learn this. Some know it going in, some learn it very quickly. But you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to actually get used to being uncomfortable. We're uh, scaling a, a really nice business, uh, Growth 10 uh, is a business. I'm uncomfortable we, around you all the time. I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we are, we are all kidding aside, and I know you are uncomfortable around me, but all kidding aside, we are uncomfortable most of the time. Yeah. We're conscious incompetence. We, we are striving to know what we don't know, which is an uncomfortable feeling, but you actually have to be uncomfortable uh, most of the time and be comfortable with that, which is a weird thing to say. But if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a hardcore entrepreneur, you get that. Um, and lastly, their DNA is all over the business. I think that's the way they described it. I think I describe it as, you know, their their beliefs, their values are embedded in the culture. And I think that's very, very important if a business is going to come together with some great A players and scale rapidly. But haven't we seen that with all of our high-performing Shark Tank entrepreneurs? Yeah, absolutely. Their, their personality, their DNA, their mindset, uh, their attitudes, they permeate throughout the organization. And it's not that there's only one way to do that, but it's just about the right person, you know, being authentic and, and spreading that throughout the organization. And, you know, that to me is the antithesis of, okay, we're uh, Corporation ABC and we're going to uh, write on the wall integrity and, uh, you know, honesty, honesty yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, some, some <laughs> bullshit, yeah, right? Right. And that's, and so that's what these, 
these entrepreneurs that, you know, the ones that are really killing it that we've been interviewing, I just feel like they interject their personality and it's real and their people know it's real and they're not buzzwords and they weren't uh, created by, you know, some disconnected people in the C-suite. They actually mean things. Yeah, there's a genuine sincerity uh, with regard to their values. It's embedded in the organization. Their staff emulates what they see. John Maxwell said you need to know the way, show the way, and go the way. And these guys do. They do exactly that. Uh, a couple more for you. Uh, don't listen to professors. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so um, here's, here's the thing. I'll, I'll give you two quick examples. You know, uh, Fred Smith, mm. FedEx, mm -hmm. created the concept for FedEx right. in economics class. And he got a C minus, yeah. and the professor wrote this isn't feasible. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible idea, Fred. You're going to fly all your products to Memphis, then sort through them, and then fly them to their destination. That'll work. never work. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, I remember, um, you know, I had a, a brush up, we'll just call it, with a professor when I was in college. And I was writing one of my more recent books. So this was a few years ago. And I was trying to remember, you know, the story and I was telling it because I thought there were some really important lessons in there about leadership. And I went back and looked at this professor's uh, LinkedIn page because I'm like, you know, I I'd love to know what wins this professor has had in their career. They'd never done anything. Right. Started off as a receptionist inside a college of business at a university. And they're nice people. They're very nice people. And then they started taking classes and then they got their masters and then they got their PhD because they were working on a college campus. And now they're a professor that's telling people what to do, what they can't do, what they need to do better when they have no game, no credibility, no wins. And I, I just really rubbed me the wrong way. Question and maybe you. certain topics and certain subjects on a college campus, that's okay. But I don't understand how you can teach business without having actually done business. So that, that was my question, and it's an interesting question. I've asked it to many people. Do you believe you can teach something that you've never done or experienced? You know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say Yes, you can. I mean, even someone will say, well, basketball coaches, you know, they they weren't didn't play in the NBA, but they can coach NBA players. And my pushback would be, yeah, but they've dribbled a basketball. Okay? They, yeah. they, they understand the movements and they understand they've been immersed in the game, even if they didn't excel at it. They've been in the game. They've, they've played the sport. They Again, they're, they're on the court. Okay? Ver, yeah, and so I, I, I just believe... That, I mean, the lessons I've learned about business, that you've learned about business, that our listeners have learned, it's, uh, hey, I made this stupid mistake and I learned from it. I, I just, I don't know how you can read enough. And look, I read a lot, you know, but I don't understand how you can read business books and just go, I'm an expert. I know, you know, my crap. I, I, I don't think so. What about so there's you? a there's a degree of emotional intelligence. Oh, and sure. Experiential intelligence that is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I, so anyways, I, I think it's just so important to, I think it's so important to think about who you take advice from. Yeah. And I've said this before and you've probably heard me say it. I like people who have been there, done that, yeah. and are still doing it. I like people that really... In the trenches. In the trenches. Um, they mentioned Upwork. They got a technical drawing done through Upwork. There are these amazing people all over the world for very affordable um, and quick work. 
Use them. Yeah, you can afford. Oh, I need a I need oh, I a thousand dollar an hour patent attorney. I can't. Find... I can't afford to hire someone for ten grand to uh, develop a logo. There's people that will do that on Fiverr on ninety nine designs for a couple hundred dollars. You can have a fantastic logo set. Yep. Uh, you have to run ads and drive traffic. You know, if you're in this type of business, you better figure out how you're going to run ads that convert. And yep. if you can't figure it out or you can't hire someone that can figure it out, you're dead on arrival. Yep. Um, walk before you run. We walk before we run. I like that uh, quote that they said. And uh, the last thing was just talking about free resources. We have Clubhouse. We have LinkedIn. We have YouTube. We have TED Talks. We have books. We have yeah. all these incredible resources that are free or very inexpensive. So there is no excuse for not being able to quickly learn anything. And like with Upwork, if you can't learn it or can't physically do it, you can find someone very affordably that can. When I had no money as a young entrepreneur, solopreneur, commission salesperson, I grabbed every free resource possible in the first book. Uh, that I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill was, I think, $2.79. So I was just grabbing free or near free resources. And then I graduated into... Well, this was well, this beginning of your career? Yeah. Okay, so the printing press was involved, was invented at that point? Well, they this were, was, was... this on a stone tablet or was this a, a book? This was 1979, so... Okay. Was, did they have books on tape then or they, they did, books on they record? did not. Well, okay. <laughs> they had cassette tapes. They had okay. motivational cassette tapes and... I would buy used ones. Drive around all day <laughs> listening to them? No, but you drive around listening to them, yeah. right? Yeah. I was in my Trans Am. I had a Trans Am with a 400 engine, and I'd, I'd just cruise around Van Nuys Boulevard and, and listen. Getting so, amped up on sales tapes. Just get fired up. But <laughs> God help the prospects. But my point was, I had a point here, by the way. My point was I feasted on a lot of free stuff or near free stuff. Then I graduated into high-level paid programs. And I think that's the path that most entrepreneurs need to take. There's good free stuff, there's great paid stuff, and you need to find it and associate yourself with it. All right. As always, remember, if you're an entrepreneur that wants to join a group of entrepreneurs in a monthly mastermind, growth10.com. If the idea of mentoring and leading groups of entrepreneurs is interesting, growth10.com. And we have something free for you. We do. A, a book, and it's a book on tape. No, it's a book on Audible. <laughs> Entrepreneurial Landmines. If you go to OutsideTheTank.com, throw your first name and email address in, we will send you the Audible and the Kindle version. No cost. We'd love you to have it. We're very proud of the book. And we'll see you next Tuesday on an all-new episode of, of Outside, Outside the, the Tank. tank.